Crusade Podcast Episode 10. We are going to be talking about uh, some video games and some movies this week. Well, I'm your host Ian and with me as always is Courtney. Hello. So this week uh, we're going to be talking about the latest episode of Mandalorian. Um, I saw John Wick 4. We're going to talk about the Diablo 4 beta and I'll give a little bit of my first impressions on the Resident Evil 4 remake that just came out as well. Okay. So uh, let's start off with uh, Mandalorian. Uh, that came out this week, and it was really weird because like the recap was literally like the last five minutes of the episode because the week before, well, like the first five minutes and the last five minutes of yeah, because week before episode. episode was like an Andor episode that had nothing to do with Mandalorian, and then this episode just recapped what happened with Man- with Mandalorian. So I feel like they're using the Mandalorian show to like launch point off other, other ideas yeah. or possibly other spinoffs that are coming off. Because they got to make that episode pay off somehow to have a whole episode that has nothing to do with Mandalorian. Yeah. And it'd be about the scientists and the cloning and, like, him possibly getting pulled back into doing his research again. Um, I'm thinking that's going to lead like, a First Order reveal or something. Because mm-hmm. Snoke was, like, a bunch of... was a cloned th- being or something. Yeah. Um, but the main part of this episode was Mando and... I can't remember her name... Bo Katan. Bo Katan, yeah, we're ba- we're back at uh, Mando's like, I guess camp where where his where his tribe is now hanging out at. Um, one big takeaway uh, from our friends is that they should probably move, considering that there's a giant bird that keeps taking their children off and killing them. Yeah, they, you would think since this is such a regular occurrence, they're like, oh yeah, that bird's like taking ten kids so far. It's like, uh. Shouldn't you move or kill it. kill it or something? Why did it have to take Bo-Katan and her ship to do this? Yeah, because apparently, I guess, the rest of the Mandalorians don't have spaceships, but then how do they get to that planet? Yeah, because they, they get there and then like, oh, we don't need this ship anymore and just blow it up or something. Yeah, because they were originally in that town and then they left when, yep. Mando- when they had a big fight in the first season or something. But it's like, okay, so you're on the stranded planet. Mando can get in because he has a ship. Bo-Katan showed up with her ship. She trailed the bird in her ship. So now she knows where it's at. Like, you guys couldn't have done this? What the fuck have you guys been doing this whole time? Just baptizing each other and letting your kids get killed? Yeah. Um, but basically, they go off. They fight this giant pterodactyl bird. Uh, she say, They save uh, the kid, the young one that got taken. Uh, we get a flashback of Groku and his experience during the Purge. Which some people are like, yeah, we don't really want to see that because, yeah, we know what happened at the purge. I kind of like the concept of how it started with, we just saw from Anakin's point of view in the movie where he just kills a bunch of younglings. We saw now in Obi-Wan Kenobi that there were uh, someone else's point of view from that night. Uh, you have Cal Calrissian's point of view from the Fallen Order game. Mm-hmm. And now we have Groku's point of view of what happened that night. And Groku was apparently saved by another Jedi who I guess they might mention his name briefly, but the, big, the whole big point of that was just to sh- give... I guess the actor a redeeming moment because he's the voice of Jar Jar Binks and he hated his life after the first movie came out because everybody gave him shit about it. It's like, he's in a Star Wars movie and he has a voice of character. Like, would you turn that down? No, no. you wouldn't. You think, regardless of what, how stupid the character is or poorly received, 
you would not say, oh, George Lucas wants me to be in a Star Wars movie. Fuck you. I don't want to do that role. No, everyone even still clamors to be in anything Star Wars. Yeah, like that, uh, was it the 51st? Yeah, the 501. Yeah, the 501 cosplay group. They're constantly in productions. I constantly wonder, do they get paid as extras or are they just doing it because they're super super Star Wars fans? Or they uh, take the money that they're giving them and put it to charity. Charity, yeah. Which is... Probably what's hap- my guess is happening. It all depends if they get paid because I, yeah. what I feel like Hollywood would do and even people in Star Wars would do is like, oh, you're a super fan. Do you want to be in the background of this? Cool. Do it for free. Yeah. And then they don't pay you and you're just stuck because you're in a Star Wars show or a Star Wars film. But then you should remember, oh, wait, I'm play- being a free extra. I should fucking get paid for that. Yeah. <clears throat> even in large productions, extras get paid. <laughs> yeah. I mean, even if you don't get speaking rules, you get a little bit of pay. Um, and that's one way they get around having to use guild folks and stuff like that is that if they can get fans to show up for free, any production company would, would take that and try and uh, maybe abuse that relationship. But I don't know what the 501st's deal is. I know they've done a lot of stuff with Mandalorian and whatnot. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't know. If somebody's out there, let, let us know. If, I'm, I'm all ears to be interested if they're getting paid or they're donating it to charity or if they're just doing it for free. And if they're doing it free, my advice is like, that's cool and all, but maybe you should say, hey, we want to get paid as extras. Yeah. Because you're using your all, all your own costuming and all their own gear that they've created from scratch, and they're being put, thrown in the background for filler. I mean, that's stuff that otherwise they would have to pay costuming to bake. They would have to pay extras mm-hmm. to wear, and they're getting it for free from you guys. So, Other than that, though, um, uh, Goku also got another piece of his uh, Mandalorian armor. Yep. Which is like a crest that got gets put on the front of his uh, chainmail. Yeah, it's the same cre- crest as Daddy Pedro Pascal's. Yeah, because uh, Mando has uh, their own crest of that uh, rhino thing that he had to fight in the yeah. very beginning of the se- of the shows of season one. Yeah. <laughs> <clears throat> um. So he had like a little character growth there, uh, kind of like or. I guess not really character growth. We get to see... Just more backstory of Grogu. Backstory of Grogu and then like him moving, progressing forward in his Mandalorian train because he did have to fight a youngling who ended up getting kidnapped by the pterodactyls that went off and pouted from losing to Grogu. <laughs> but they ended up saving that kid. Um, Grogu's not old enough to speak the word, so he can't be at a point where like they make a helmet for him. So I went for like, the moment where like, they reveal a Mando helmet and they cover up Grogu's head. <laughs> Like, how is that going to work? They're just going to have, like, the large ears Ears popping out or something. I don't know. We'll have to see know, how, how they do it. Um, they got plenty of time to figure that problem out. Yeah. <laughs> um, and there's something going on with Bo-Katan and, like, the fact that she saw a mythosaur and she told the uh, Forge Master about it. And the Forge Master kind of acted as if it was a vision. When she said, no, I saw a real one, she said, yeah, well... It, We've all seen weird shit around yeah. here, like... Cool on you, I guess. Let's go. Yeah, it didn't seem like either impressed or more like, hey, it's a holy vision or anything like that. It was just like, yeah, you saw it. Cool. We all see things from time to time. Um, So we don't know where that's going. I don't quite know what the whole point of this sort of stuff is. I feel like it's probably an insider fan thing. But overall, I mean, I still enjoy the show. Still lots of fun. I think Mm -hmm. it's, I still recommend uh, the whole Mando and Book of Boba Fett for any Star Wars fan to watch. Um, these Star Warses are definitely taking on a different life of their own where you have Mando, which kind of started off kinda like Shogun, very serious, kind of gritty. You have Andor. Pretty Western, I would say, is yeah, what Mando. it started off as. And then like Bo- Book of Boba Fett kind of turned into like 
Star Wars kid playing with his his action figures before one big big massive fight, <laughs> which was fun to watch. Uh, Boba Fett's character probably didn't progress the way a lot of people wanted him to, mm-hmm. um, which is fine. I mean, it could have gone another way and could have gone a little bit better, but we'll see what happens there uh, if they ever go back to his story. And then like Andor is more like this gritty spy uh, story where. It's more realistic. There's no lightsabers or magic or any of that bullshit. Um, or even like magical Beskar armor that can reflect anything or something yeah. like that. It's straight up just uh, regular people f- resisting the go- the Empire and how they pull it off. Mm-hmm. Um, but we're supposed to get a Sokotana show here fairly soon. I know mm-hmm. Favreau's working on that. Um, and we'll just see what other Star Wars shows they come out with. Um this will definitely be basically where they're laying down all the new foundation for canon if they ever go back to making a movie, but I don't know if they will. Not for a long time. I'm sure they will eventually, but not for a while. I think it they're just going to let everything breathe, take its time, and when they go back to it, hopefully they have an actual three-movie plan than just, oh, let the directors do what they want. Yeah, Let's and then go. retcon it. <laughs> Yeah. The interesting thing is about some of these shows, like in like the episode of Mandalorian uh, two weeks ago, where it was mostly about different characters. It was interesting to see like the transition of how regular life went for people who were in the Republic, then it transferred to the Empire, mm-hmm. and how those rich folks were like, "Oh, I can't remember which is which anymore," type of thing, because they yeah. were so rich and powerful, it didn't affect their lifestyle that much. It just oh, there's a new flag and a new regime. Who cares? Yep. Um, as long as I can keep doing what I can do. Yeah, because in the Star cares? Wars saga, we only see from the point of view of... The rebels. The rebels. The ones fighting. Um, and a little bit of some empire from on the Empire side, but like you never know like how's the majority of the universe handling all that. Supposedly, the destruction of Alderaan should have been a huge thing. Um, and then the fall of the Empire happens and then the new republic shows up and the bureaucrats are still the same like it didn't matter to them who's in charge it's just they still owned all their property they still had all their money they still had all their businesses mm-hmm. uh because government changes don't doesn't change business because this business is still off to run basically exactly um so it's interesting to see that because you don't get that point of view all you get is the struggle of the rebels usually or the struggle of the of uh, empire fighting uh uh rebels or terrorists if you point from their point of view mm-hmm. um so it's interesting to see that and it'd be cool to see more, a little bit more of that you get most of that in andor but andor's happening before uh new hope and whatnot and this is happening after uh return of the jedi so you have andor which is like the pro empire folks uh supporting and promoting Empire while resistance is building. Then you have what's happening here, which I think is going to be the hint to the start of the uh, the First Order, mm-hmm. taking the folks who were working for the Empire, who were just soldiers or scientists or whatnot, and then basically reassimilating them into the population. But it's weird because they do it where, like, oh, you don't have a name anymore. You're here, your name is a number. Yeah. It's like, wow, that's very, like, almost concentration campish of you because they all have yeah. to live in the same facility they all have to get psychiatric reviews to make sure that they don't have any ill will to the nor- to the New Republic, so they're not, like, sympathizers for uh, the Empire. Mm-hmm. And then it also shows kind of how the Republic went about dismantling the Empire, where the Empire basically consumed the Republic and took over all their stuff 
animate improvements and built bigger and better weapons because like Republic wasn't a warfaring Republic, so they didn't have a lot of stuff until the Clone Wars. Yes. And then the Empire expanded on that with the Death Star and more Star Destroyers yeah. and the Super Star Destroyer. Yeah. Where the Republic here, what we're seeing is that they're taking all the technology, all the science, anything that the Empire created, and they're just destroying it. Saying this is gotten from ill games, we don't need it, and they destroy it. And that's where you have that character sympathize, like, wait, this is good research. We could use this to do good and not evil. And that's probably what's going to start up the First Order. Yep. Um, So it'll be interesting to see where that goes if they do that. Um, But that was Mando. Um, Next big thing is... Um, well, I saw John Wick 4, mm-hmm. which was very, uh, very good. I mean, John Wick is kind of an interesting enigma. I mean, I feel like the first movie was like lightning in a bottle. Right. They had an idea, they knew what they were going to do, and they executed it very well. And I think they created kind of a genre called, uh, I would call like neon noir. Okay. Where you, it's not necessarily a detective mission, but it's gritty. There's a gritty underworld, and they constantly light everything with like neon lights and, and lighting color. Lighting and coloring plays a big part. And the John Wick movies, if you watch any of the people who've done analysis on that, um, like anytime John Wick is bathed in blue light, he's going to kick everybody's ass. Anytime he's not in blue light, he might get hit or get hurt. And that constantly happens, I think, in... I noticed a lot in 4 where, like, if the lights were changing, they would sometimes change it, like, on the count of, like, he's getting hit, now the lights are red, him punching back, now they're blue. Hmm. Um, The second movie, I feel like... They didn't really have a f- clear idea where they're going to go with it because right. they just kind of like, oh, now he's going after his car. And why is it? And we don't f- we find out later in that movie why the car was important. It was the car is the fact that he had a birth- his last birthday car from his wife was in the glove box that he wanted to get back. Oh, okay. Because so, John Wick is sentimental, wants his stuff back. <laughs> um, but then they go through this whole thing where he gets pulled in, and then now, and then and in that movie, uh, he's ex- excommunicated, and everybody's after him in John Wick 3. He goes basically in a circle in John Wick 3 where he goes to the people above the table, cuts off a finger, uh, gets a mission to get non-excommunicated, but then decides not to, <laughs> fights the table, and then basically basically the winner out of all this is Winston, the guy who owns the Continental, because then he basically gets his hotel reestablished, pushes John Wick off the roof, and then now it's like, all right... John Wick 4, you're thinking, all right, he's just going to go after and destroy the table and destroy the whole this whole underground universe that we're learning about. Right. But basically what happens here is that what I thought, he's going to go back to the Elder to get his ring back. Um, some reviewers out there, like IGN's like big ex- explanation on like, the ending of John Wick says that he got the ring back. He did not because it's a different Elder. And the guy says, yeah, your ring is as gone as the old Elder is because like, yeah. basically the other Elder probably died or disappeared or something. So they put another elder in the spot. So kind of giving the idea, like, if you kill one person in this organization who's at the top, they just replace them. Mm-hmm. So murdering everybody's probably not the answer to get out or to solve the problems. But Wick does it anyway, kills that elder, and then goes on his rampage to uh, basically t- try and take down the, the table. Basically, they inter- introduce a new villain called the Marquis. I think it's Marquis de Mall or something. Um He's basically like given the power of the table to do whatever he can to destroy to take down John Wick, and he starts with destroying the New York Continental. Like literally, just d- blowing it up, demolishes or? it. Yeah, he oh, blo- okay. he blows it up. They kill Sharon, um, and to teach Winston a lesson, and then uh, we find that John Wick is in Japan at the Osaka Continental, mm-hmm. where they introduce a few other characters like Akira, who is the concierge there, but the daughter of the owner. 
who is played by, I can't think of his name, but he's the guy that plays Scorpion in the new uh, Mortal Kombat. He was okay. one of the samurais in The Last Samurai. Uh-huh. I'll look his name up here real quick. And you'll cut this part out. No, I'll leave, it. I'll leave this all in here. Because uh, he's a really good actor. He's also in um, Sunshine. He's the captain in Sunshine. Oh, okay. Um, he's got to be listed here. There he is Hiroyuki Sanada. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. He plays the manager of the Osaka. Mm. So, basically, anywhere John Wick goes, they're going to destroy whatever to teach a lesson to anybody. Like, hey, don't help John Wick. He's excommunicado. But people are helping him because there's deals or there's honor or stuff that runs deeper than just the rules of the table and this, and this underworld group. Um, then, basically, the Marquis ends up bringing in Donnie Yen's character, Kane, basic, who was retired, and basically said, all right, we're going to kill your daughter if you don't fucking do this. So it puts Donnie Yen in the position where he has to go and kill, try and kill his friend John Wick, plus his other friends, like the manager of the Osaka and all that stuff. Um, go through this whole long thing where he's hired. Then they introduce another character, which we never get any background on. He's just a guy called Nobody who is a freelancer. who seems like he's not a part of the world. Mm-hmm. Um, but he knows of it. Um, but it's not like he's a well-known person that people c- would call to contract or something. Oh, okay. Is but, it the same guy who played Mr. Nobody? No. Oh, that would have been a fun tie. That would have been a nice tie, but it's, it's this <laughs> black guy who has a dog. Okay. Uh, that's just like so how Perry's dog. That's why John probably likes him. Oh, that's one reason why he doesn't kill him because oh, he has one a of, dog. One you of have Mar- a dog, you're safe. Well, one of the Mar- one of the Marquis guys was about to kill the, his dog, oh. and John shot the dude instead, shooting uh, nobody. And so, like that conflicted him not to actually go out and kill John Wick because he basically says at the beginning, like, "Hey, the price isn't high enough for me to kill you yet." Then he has to make a deal with the Marquis where he has to kill him, mm-hmm. and then the Marquis basically says, "I'm going to kill you, or you kill John Wick." <laughs> So he basically, Marquis is fucking everybody over just trying to end all this. And just like the trails, it does come down to like, hey, he has to do a challenge. They go through his whole Rook and Roll. Um, but this is where I think like watching the movie, I was like, wow, the John Wick universe has really gone from like gritty realistic to comic book. Because in this process mm-hmm. of John Wick like getting renewed into his family so that he can make a challenge, he basically has to kill this guy who I guess is an Eastern, Eastern German Eastern German? Like, I can't tell what his... <laughs> From East Germany? <laughs> what? Yeah, uh, basically, he has a reminiscence of East Germany. Like, I mean, they, they show some very big things in this, like, the the memorial of the Berlin Wall. Yeah. And, like, he has to go to the other side to, like, go talk to this, to go take revenge for these people and kill this guy. Mm-hmm. Um, but this guy's, like, a huge fat ass. He's, like... A huge fat ass. He's, like, um... Kingpin, basically. Okay. He's a big guy. And, like, when I thought, like, okay, this just got ridiculous or got comic book er- uh, error, was because when they finally go fight this, when they, the fight kicks off with this guy. Um, does he do, like, a Kingpin-esque oh, move? No, or? like, he does a roundhouse kick to John Wick's face, dude. I'm like, all right, this guy's fucking fat. There's no way he did a roundhouse kick to this dude's face. But <laughs> apparently he did. Okay. Um... Yeah, I don't know who the actor is, but it's clearly, like, it's probably somebody, it's somebody in a fat suit, basically. <laughs> so this is where I was thinking, like, this feels like Streets of Rage, where, like, you're going Streets up these big rage. fat guys who suddenly have a, agility and strength that you don't think they, they would have. 
Maybe it is Streets of Rage. Maybe that's, that's what this movie was based off of. There, it's, it's really, really starts to feel like that. To where <laughs> that whole genre took a jump from gritty realism gritty to like revenge to well, it had realism in pop. It had realism in how John Wick fought and like how it was precise, like headshots and kills everything. Yeah, and the training that all the actors went through were very uh, rigorous and realistic as far as the gunfighting and whatnot. Mm-hmm. But then you get to this point, it's like. Okay, this is ridiculous, right? You were we're fighting a guy that's like four hundred pounds, or at least three hundred fifty pounds, and it's not muscle. And this guy's running around, and he's pretty quick and and swift. Like that's kind of weird. Um, but <laughs> the big thing with this movie, um, is and this will be spoilers, so if you don't want to know what happens in John Wick Four, jump ahead till we start talking about games or whatnot. Um. Well, before I get to that, another interesting thing is that Johnny, De- <laughs> uh, uh, which I didn't get from the trailers, which is that Donnie Yen's character, Kane, is blind. Oh. So they play this whole unique thing that he's blind. He can't see anything, yet he's precise and able to uh, use sound. Like, he uses... So he's Daredevil. So they may... No, no, not really. No, because what, what, he, what he uses is in the fight in Osaka, he puts up a bunch of, uh, like, doorbell sensors, motion sensors uh-huh. in the kitchen when, he, when the guys are coming after him. And he waits for them to trigger it so he knows where they're at, and then he fa- then he can uh, hit them. So he knows where he set them. How is that different? Daredevil can visually see from vibrations. That's how uh, Daredevil is different. Whatever. That sounds so stupid. I'm sorry. It still sounds stupid. Like I said, good, this movie goes way into the comic book universe with how they do things or how things are presented to one point. Um, but... They have cool moments where they set up, uh, not sequels, but other Universal movies. Apparently, um, Donnie Yen kills the manager of the Osaka. Uh, his daughter uh, wants revenge on that, and he kind of he tells her, like, hey, I'll be waiting for you uh, when you're ready. And then they go off with the rest of the movie. Uh, the end credit sequence is her showing up in a crowd with a knife uh, while he's there with his daughter, and it just kind of cuts. So, like, the next possible movie would be her hunting Donnie Yen down or something like that uh, or something else in this universe which would be interesting mm-hmm. uh, the spoilers for how this movie whole, whole thing ends is that everybody in the end is helping John Wick get to this final duel even though they were told to kill him before sunrise which is when the duel supposed to take place because if he doesn't get there then the agreement's forfeit um, but Donnie Yen does not necessarily want to fight for the Marquis because He's like, hey, no, you fight your own fucking fight. Yeah. Um, but he's forced to, and they basically do a uh, 30-pace duel. Uh, then they go, they close 10 paces each round until somebody goes down. Um, so they fire, and, you know, they nick his shoulders, and they get um, each other kind of on the sides. And then John gets uh, 10 paces, gets shot in the gut, and goes down. And then the Marquis, in his zealousness, is like, hey, okay, cool, I get the coup de grace, so give me your gun. I'm going to sh- gonna kill John Wick. And right before he does it, Winston's like, hey, you're an arrogant asshole. You didn't realize something. John didn't fire his gun in the last round. So John fucking shoots him in the head and kills him. (laughs) So that totally disrupts everything that the table had or the big powerhouse behind this uh, universe. But we don't see what the full repercussions of that is. Mm -hmm. John Wick dies there on the stairs afterwards. And, like, they leave it open to the audience. Like, do you think just it's just John Wick is dead? Like the hitman murder and John, the uh, husband, the 
loving husband is now going to live the rest of his life remembering his wife and just disappear? Or is it that he's really dead? I think he's just really dead because one of the conversations they had about uh, their tombstones with Winston and uh, one of his first prince character, the King of the Bowery, was like what they wanted their tombstones. Because uh, he put on Sharon's tombstone, uh, or Sharon's tombstone friend, John says, just put loving husband for mine. And at the end, they build a tombstone next to his wife, says John Wick, loving husband. Mm-hmm. Um, that Winston's there, like, looking over. So, John Wick's definitely dead. What this does open up for, like, spinoffs, like, if they want to do a TV show called The Continental, which is about the hotels uh, that uh, are in this universe, that'd be very cool. Yeah. Have a spinoff about the Kira chick uh, hunting Donnie Yen. That'd be a cool revenge story. Uh, that would be, be interesting to see or see more of this world. The only thing is that story's been done a million times, so is that really going to be worth watching? I don't know. It's stylized in such a way that it is cool to watch. As I, like, as I said, even as this got to a ridiculous comic book fight of John Wick fighting a 350-pound like East German guy um, in a in a rave. The funny thing is, like they're at a they're in a dance club as mob bosses own own dance clubs and shit, and you see people dancing and John Wick's killing guys. And they're like. Is this real? Is this not? Is that, like, <laughs> is that until the towards the end that everybody's like, oh shit, this is real, and everybody in the club's running out <laughs> to leave. But there's literally people in the background dancing like, oh, that guy's dead. Is this performance art, or is he really dead? <laughs> or this is East Germany. Let's just keep going. Yeah, it was really weird. Um, like I said, I couldn't place the guy's acting. I think it was German, but it's uh-huh. like, it was very clear, like, hey, this guy's on the East Germany side, but it's like, again, this... Time place this movie takes place, he's not old enough to have been alive during East Germany, per se. He would have been just maybe a child at most. Okay. So it's not like, like this... Like when the wall came when, down? When the wall came down, okay. right. Yeah, it's like, so there's no really real thing of it, but they definitely made his accent sound like German, Russian, or like he had ties with the KGB or some shit like that. Okay. But he clearly wasn't Russian because John is technically supposed to be like Russian or speaks Russian or something. Um... So it was really weird how his character was designed. I just it kind of stood out oddly, and that whole sequence is where it's like, wow, this is Streets of Rage. He's fighting a fat guy and having <laughs> trouble with it. Um, him and two other guys that are, are seeing they're trying to fight all his men and and kill this dude. Um, but entertaining movie, uh, I would say. Yeah, uh, it's like neon noir where everything is very stylized. Um, there's big themes throughout all these movies. I'd have to watch John Wick 4 again to kind of pick out what's in this one because it's like the first one straight is like straightforward. Like the second one, they like have a whole thing with reflections where like there's a whole mirrored hallway and mirrored room that they fight in John Wick 2. And like there's a lot of characters, they get introduced first through seeing them in the reflection and not actually seeing their face. Okay. Even if it is for a split second, like when he meets the guy that gives him his marker and what makes him go kill his sister, he opens the door a crack and you see the guy's face in the mirror and not his face until he opens the door all the way. Mm-hmm. So there's like a cutaway where you don't, where your first introduction is his reflection. And it's constantly done that way throughout that entire movie where I feel like they had a style for drawing week two, but not necessarily a clear story. And then the story writes itself when you set it up to where he's excommunicated, everybody in the world's trying to kill him and how he gets out of that situation. Okay. All right. So now on to video games. Uh, so the big thing we've been playing uh, last weekend and this weekend has been the Diablo 4 beta. Yeah. First weekend, it was just Barbarian, Rogue, and Sorcerer. Yep. 
and then this pe- weekend it's all the, all the available all the characters. characters at launch, which will they basically add the necromancer and the uh, druid. Mm-hmm. Um, so basically, people got if you pre-ordered, you had the first weekend where you got to play with like the first three characters, and then this weekend a lot of people are playing with the necromancer and the druid. Um, overall, Diablo Four, I feel like. If you like Diablo games, you're going to like this because it's the same thing as before. It's the art style is the biggest difference between 3 and this one, where 3 had more of, I think, kind of like an image comics feel to it. Yeah. Uh, even with how the armor and the character designs were. And then this is trying to be more realistic with how everything looks. Mm-hmm. To the point where I almost feel like some of it is wasted on the camera angle where you're at. It does do a new thing where during cinematic scenes or uh, important... Uh, exposition scenes the camera will zoom in and then it might cut to a full-blown cinematic or will zoom in really close into the scene so you can get more detail on the characters talking right but in fights it's just it's all chaos you can't see detail on anything yeah. <laughs> um, and there's some people complain that they want to be able to zoom the camera out even further in the bigger fights so that they can see more oh. of what's going on well probably they just want to <clears throat> see like more of what's coming at you yeah which um, is a little cheating. <laughs> and that might be with the bosses we haven't fought, like the really huge giant bo- uh, raid bosses that are in there. Because mm-hmm. the other element that they've added to Diablo 4, unlike the other games, is, yeah, you can do online and you can do couch co-op, but they have had this persistent online world where there are open world events that just kind of randomly pop up. Yep. There are certain area areas in t- whenever you're in a town or in these open world areas, other characters will appear. And they'll be fighting, uh, and you'll be working together to fight a boss or do or accomplish a task. Uh, and then a treasure chest will appear and dump out a bunch of stuff for everybody, and then everybody goes their own separate ways. Um, so it's like MMO light in that fashion, because what they don't run into is the f- problem of most MMOs, like we find with uh, Elder Scrolls Online, is like you walk into a cave and somebody's wiping, it's clearing everything out ahead of you, and you don't get any experience, you can't fight anything. Yeah, you, and just you can't go find the pick boss. up your one thing, or you have to wait around. Yeah. See stuff pop up, and it, it's a little annoying. Yeah, there's lots of times where, like, in that game, like, I've run through a dungeon, like, where the fuck am I supposed to go? And I find out that I've passed where the boss is at because somebody's already cleared that room. Yeah. And I have to go back and wait for him to respawn. Um, so this is kind of like, gives you the MMO feel where you have a bunch of people around that you'll probably team up with on the fly and you'll see them in the world, but then they don't persistently exist in the world. Yeah. The only mission where we saw something like that was that side mission. Uh, oh, we're together the gems. We had to get the gems from the guy that got ripped off and like you killed the boss, another guy showed up and then the boss immediately responded in front of us. Probably for that guy to kill him so he can pick up the gems and do his mission. Yeah. Um, it's a, it was really weird that that's the one side quest where we saw another character pop up. I don't know why that happened that way. Because all the other side quests, it's like they're either in your party or you're doing a world event that's in the area. Mm-hmm. You don't have other people running around dungeons back and forth in front of you. you, you you'll you see other people running around when you get into towns and that's it. Yeah. Um, so far, a lot of people say the sorcerer is overpowered. The necromancer is overpowered. The sorcerer is overpowered. They said that in three, too. Yeah, they were complaining that there's a bunch of people underpowered who are playing like against raid bosses who couldn't hold their own. Yeah. So I don't really know what's overpowered. So I do know that I feel like. Well, the, I think the, the necromancer can be extremely overpowered. Well, the necromancer and the druid, since you guys, since those characters can have little companions, self-made companions, like. You can have two dogs with you so far, yeah, right? With the druid that I, that I built, I did like a werewolf uh, druid build. So I had 
two dogs, or not dogs, wolves that I summon and follow me. And then there was a weapon that I picked up that turned them into werewolves with more damage output as well. So it's like a little mini army that the druid has that you can run around with. And then with the uh, necromancer, you had like 10... Like yeah, let me get, I'll, yeah, I'll get to how that, lo- how that load out. All right, the Necromancer. Um, yeah, it's interesting because the Necromancer can summon skeletons like you could before. Mm-hmm. Um, and you have the power to summon up to five skeletons. And then I think three more mage skeletons with your five like soldier skeletons. And then I found a piece of armor that let me have two more mages. So I basically have ten characters running around f- yeah, for support for me. Yeah, it's crazy. Um, so it makes it really overpowered to where, like, one, it's chaotic and you can't see anything on the screen when you no. have, like, a druid and necromancer going at it or if you have multiple necromancers in the area. <laughs> the nice thing that we noticed, though, while we are playing co-op online was that um, our friends who are both necromancers who were playing online with us, their stuff, their, their soldiers are there, but they're translucent. Yes. So you could see... Where you were at. Yeah, so you can see that they're there, but they're not completely solid like they are if they're your characters. Mm -hmm. Um, And luckily, like, we were playing as a rogue and a barbarian, and they were playing as two necromancers. So they had, like, their little army of skeletons running around, but with it being translucent, we are able to actually see the screen and see what's going on. Um, I'm not saying that they should do that for it when you have it, but it does get to the point where it's like, you just have a bunch of things all over the place, you kind of just have to take a look at your stats and see that your life's not going down because it's going to be hard to keep track of where your character is yeah. amongst everything else. But literally, a druid and a necromancer can literally have an army with them. And the necromancer also has a power that I haven't unlocked yet, but I'm about to, uh, which is Army of the Dead, where they're supposed to be able to raise a ton of more enemies <laughs> up oh, for like a temporary time point to fight in a, in a battle or whatnot. But you always have the stagnant like 10 warriors there. Just that running around with you. That, yeah, they'll die over time, and only creatures have been able to really hurt them have been bosses. Mm-hmm. And then I can just resurrect them from corpses instead of blowing up corpses. So They have their weaknesses where it's like if there's just a one-on-one boss and they're not building on ads, like the sorcerer and the necromancers can't do a whole lot. Because the sorcerer's like crowd-grounding sp- spells do a lot more damage. Um, when, at least for mine, cause mine's a lightning one. Like mm-hmm. when I can bounce lightning off of things, it does more damage as it bounces off people and myself where if it's just me one-on-one. It has to bounce off of me back and forth. So I have to be fairly close to make sure it does that. And that puts you in like danger getting, uh, one shotted or a lot of health swiped by the boss. Yeah. So like I said, they definitely have their weaknesses, but when you're in a group, there's nothing to stop you. And I, I, guess i've never played yellow on like the super hard levels of difficulties where like a group of four people are struggling to beat something but like the stuff that we did last night with our friends like they were struggling with the two of them trying to go after some like world bosses and we helped them get through all that with our characters um which seems like it's plot it's plausible that stuff's difficult but i mean i feel like if they weren't both necromancers and they had one person to support that class they probably could have got through themselves yeah it's if you're going to play with other people, it's definitely uh, an advantage to play as different classes just for the different supports that you can give each other. And the, you know, you could have 
like a barbarian up there just dealing damage and taking the damage, which I think they should. Now that the barbarian, I noticed that he, he can be a little bit uh, weak. And in yeah, people and pointed like, out that he's kind of he weak. Need, yeah, and he needs to be a little bit more of a beefy boy. Yeah, he needs to be able to take more damage. I feel, I feel yeah. like the uh, rogue is probably the next weakest character. As far as, like, damage that they do, I mean, there's a lot of damage they can do, but they also eat, consume a ton of their um, energy. Ma- energy to do it. Whereas in Diablo 3, the rogue was really was just called the Demon Hunter. Yes. And, like... I could set up a demon hunter where I just hold down the right trigger, and they have two, they're dual wielding crossbows, yeah. and they're just firing arrows out, out like crazy. Here, there's a rapid fire arrow uh, attack, but it consumes so much energy that you'll run out of it fairly quickly. Yeah. So where you constantly have to use your other skills, and they probably did it so that you weren't relying on just one uh, skill that you can basically build to where like you get energy on kills or stuff like that to where it's endless use. Which is basically what I did with my Diablo 3 character. <laughs> but, um, I don't know. The way the skill trees work are kind of different and interesting. Where, mm-hmm. at first we did, we thought, like, oh, do you need like just grab everything? But, like, there's core skills and there's specific skills within their skill sets. And then at certain levels, all the characters have, like, some type of special ability that they get. Whether, like, a sorcerer gets a book of spells, which was, that's where you get the extra skeleton. And get the mage skeletons out of. Mm-hmm. Um... The mage has... I'm sorry, that's Necromancer. The mage has um, kind of a way to take uh, any skill that they have and they put it in an essence uh, slot, which then gives a passive ability to that skill. So we're like, hey, if you have frozen... If you're making an ice mage and you're freezing characters, you can put uh, your basic ice shard attack into this essence uh, slot that opens up like at level 20 and the one opens up at 30. And basically, anytime there's a frozen character, you automatically produce ice shards that sh- fire fire at those frozen characters. Nice. And it, like, it basically does passive attacks for you when you hit certain conditions. Um, that's something that only the mage can do, which is which was I thought was interesting. And mm-hmm. then the rogue has some skills that he can learn. <clears throat> but basically, you gotta. F- it's not a whole lot of mixing and matching. Like you either gotta commit to cool and go storm mage or f- pyromancer. I'm going to go blades with the rogue or I'm going to go arrows mm-hmm. and build it one way or the other to get the best builds out of it. Otherwise, you're going to have kind of a mix and not... And it doesn't work as well. Because in the end, you can only pick... at The yeah. one that entries is like your ultimate. And you can only pick one of like three or four ultimates based on the skills that your character can do. So if you're picking like a blade rogue, you don't want to pick the reign of arrows because like... That doesn't match up with the rest of your skills. Although the yeah. rain of arrows is the best area damage, I think for the for the rogue. But you're gonna want to uh, build off of that with the other skills because there's also looking at how the armor works and whatnot. You gotta pay attention to what the armor does. Like we like Cordy says, like she found a weapon that turned her her wolves into werewolves when she fights. So now there's three werewolves, pl- uh, two werewolves plus her on the screen fighting whenever there's a fight. And I found just. Um, it's a piece of arm armor that I got to just basically keep uh, leveling up to keep it relevant. But that one piece of armor lets me have two extra skeletons. Oh, sweet. So it's like, if you're not paying attention to what the armor does, you're just looking for rare le- legendary. Yeah. Like, cool, here's a rare uh, legendary piece or rare piece of armor that, uh, yeah, it doesn't give you as much defense or attack anymore, whatever this weapon does, but it has this benefit that's worth having and not losing. Like... 
Having the wolves become werewolves is a huge advantage versus just two wolves. Yeah. Having two extra skeletons is a huge advantage when I walk around with an army of ten people with me versus an army of, like, seven or eight. Exactly. So it's definitely... There's a lot more things to pay attention to, so I guess so you can craft your builds. And there's people in these games that love doing builds and yeah, and ma- that's, max minting stuff, which I don't usually do in, in games. Yeah, but I don't know. I've been enjoying it. The only thing that pisses me off is they took away my constant roll ability. Because I in 3, I was so used to like, oh, there's a barrel. I'll just roll into it instead of attacking. In here, I'm like, oh, I can't roll. I only have like one dodge that... Yeah, so yeah, Diablo go. 3 was the right stick that just makes you do a roll yes. in whatever direction you pushed it. <clears throat> and you could do, I think, at least two rolls in succession, quick succession, then mm-hmm. like a little of a cooldown. Um, here, though, like I said, there's no roll, there's a dodge button, but the dodge has like a seven or six second cooldown. Yeah. So, like. Well, and also, I noticed on some build characters, you can get that reduced down, but still a timed. And again, it's based cool on down. based on what type of armor you have. Because I've seen like some armor, it's like, oh, this will do this. There, I looked at one thing and said, hey, this will improve your dodge, but the cooldown is now eleven seconds. Yeah, and it's like, well, no, that sucks because, uh, I like it's beige. I can't. I can use dodge once, and then I can use a teleport uh, spell that works a hell of a lot better. Mm-hmm. And like that was what the mage's essence thing for the dodge was, is that or teleport is like, hey, instead of dodging, you'll now teleport, but your cooldown is eleven seconds on it. I was like, well, that sucks. That doesn't help in a boss battle when you're like, I need to get the fuck away from you. Unless the teleport... Well, the teleport does take you further across the the room. I guess. So when I use the teleport and when fighting, I get way further away. Mm -hmm. But there's a long cooldown for it. And if it does a long cooldown now for your dodge as well, that would suck. Yeah. Um, But again, like... This is like min-maxing stuff. There's people who are experts about it. There's probably whole web pages and wikis out there like, this is how you're going to min-max this character so you get the most damage yeah. uh, DPS out of it. And it's like, I don't really play games looking at how to max my stats out. I look at how to play it so I can get through the challenges that are thrown in front of us to play through the story. Yeah. And, and the I, story seems pretty good so far. Right? And they also seem like have a bigger focus on it too. Like, yes. There's a story in Diablo 3. There's a story in Diablo 2 and all that. Um... But it's very much like Diablo's coming back. We gotta stop him. That's basically the, the story has always been. This is completely different because yeah, I'm sure Diablo will come invo- get involved somewhere in this. But <clears throat> the main villain in this is Lilith, and we don't quite know exactly what she's doing. But like she says, the Lords of Hell are coming, and we're gonna save all the people. But she's doing it by tempting them through whether it's through lust or it's through power or knowledge, she's tempting everybody she's she's interacting with and her minions are doing the same uh, as you find through, like, the side stories that you come across. Um, but we don't know exactly what her plan is, and so far the story is, hey, you walk into a town that uh, Lilith has resurrected and she's taking over the people there. They're killing passerbyers. They try to kill you uh, after feeding you uh, blood petals of Lilith. Which gives you this strange connection to Lilith that you can you're having visions of like what she's doing, uh, so you're now basically set on the quest that you're going to go stop Lilith, and you're working with the different groups in the Diablo world. Basically, a fallen angel who's still there that basically the church worships, um, which I've, I pretty much feel like we're going to be betraying that guy. We're going to be fighting him sooner or yeah, later. Yeah, he, he, he seems like, like a, a bit dick. of an ass. Yeah, I'm like, wow, you seem like a dick. I kind of hope we go have a battle against you. <laughs> yeah, because everybody keeps saying, oh, well, Father Inari, who is this angel, 
who is basically just brooding in his own little monastery, has basically written this prophecy that Lilith will come back, I will defeat her, then I will return to heaven. It's like, as if, like, he's writing his own self-prophecy so that he can get the hell out of there. And, like, yeah. He, and he wants to get the hell out of there as soon as possible. So it'll be interesting to see where the story goes. So this is just a vertical slice of the very beginning that they've given us because there's things that we can't, areas we can't get to because they're too far out of the scope of what the demo does. Mm-hmm. Uh which is kind of weird because like there's there's missions like Act Two, Act Three missions that are on the board that say you can't do this in this yeah, version. Yeah, or of the like game. go do this druid mission. Oh, you can't because <clears throat> you would go through this area. Yeah, that... which seems really weird because like all the like, again all the classes at a certain point there's a mission that will pop up for them to like get something better. Yep. Or learn something uh, new for their skill set that they have to go to a quest or talk to another character for. And the druid one is on the other side of the map that we try to get to it. it says, oh, you're going out of area. You can't go there. It's like, well, then there's no way for us to get to this other mission. Why is this here? Yeah. Um, so we'll have to explore that when the game fully comes out on June 5th. But if you're a Diablo fan, you'll definitely like this game. Jump in. It has everything that you liked about Diablo before and uh, more so. Um, mm. I think if you're missing like some of the classes like the Crusader, the Monk, or whatnot, I'm sure I feel like those are things that are getting added. Yeah, Because they added... Other character because they added the Crusader later and on. They added the Necromancer was the last thing they added to Diablo 3. Yeah, so, so I feel like those characters aren't gone, though they will come back. Um, because I guess like the plan for Diablo is that it's a live service game, but they're not going to be bogged down with a ton of microtransactions. Mm-hmm. I think they'll probably have a battle pass for cosmetic stuff. Um, because I'll say this, like, the Diablo 3 armors, they looked a lot better than some of the stuff. Like, yeah. Where you can get a legendary set or a rare set that actually matches and colors sets of whatnot, your character can look pretty cool. Otherwise, you're wearing shit that's a well, mask-kicking outfit. It looks yeah. odd. Well, remember in 3, like, the first actor two, roughly, before you get to the desert, you are kind of, like, in your ass-kicking outfit. But then there's a... Uh, color dye uh, lady that can dye your clothes and armor. So I wonder if they'll have that, but you just have to play through the story and get to the different areas. Yeah, it's probably further in, because as we're going here, you start off with not being able to do make elixirs or potions or use gems properly until the quest pops up to learn how to use gems, learn how to do this. So you kind of have to wait until you hit a certain level that says, all right, cool, you can go learn how to do that now. Yeah, so I think that's probably what's going to... Happen. Even the horse mounts, at least on the demo here, I went to the stable and it said, hey, complete for, further complete the campaign here and complete this specific mission and then you can have the mount. Yeah. Um, but basically, uh, if you didn't get a chance to play it this past weekend... Um, you're June, ca- June's coming June up. June 5th is when the game's coming out. Six. It's 5th. It's 6. It's 6-6. Six, six. Yeah, that would make sense if we do that. Yeah, yeah. Let's see. Though. It would make sense, wouldn't it? Well, there's... Well, yeah. It comes out So six, June 6th is a Tuesday. It'll probably come out June 5th at 9 p.m. They'll it's, do... Mi- it's 6-6, mi- 2023. <clears throat> it's when it comes out. So you got a couple months to go play it. Or yeah. to get it so you could play it on day one. Yeah. Which is 6-6, so. 2023. Again... Ian, it is 6-6, 20, 23. All right, I'll let, you, I'll let you believe that. We'll see what happens when it comes out. 
I'm, I'm, I'm sure. I'm sure because it, it's on the it fifth. says. Oh my god! I'm sure it's the fifth. Go look at all the motherfucking ads. Yeah, but the thing is, games come out at 9 p.m. the day before their launch date because they do midnight releases, and that's and 9 p.m. here is you're, midnight you're talking, East Coast. Oh Jesus Christ! Anyway, next game you played was the the the, the Resident Evil Force. Yeah, so Resident Evil Four they remade that. Uh, brought and basically reissue that game out. Um, it's just as good as Resident Evil Two Remake and Resident Evil Three. Like the re-engine is looks great, um, and the gameplay is just as good as you remember on the GameCube uh, version. Uh, they changed some of the story bit up a bit, uh, a little bit, but like I haven't gotten to anything where I remember like wow, this is a drastic change yet. Um, I just got past the the lake monster. Ah. <clears throat> Um, so, I mean, it has all the same, uh, epic set pieces. I found the wolf that was hurt that you have to, if you save it, it'll, it should help me out in a fight against the giant monster later on. Um, but there's supposedly some changes in the story to make things make a little bit more sense. Uh, it's cool that they're remaking these games, but I think they, I wish they get to the point where they just make a new one. <laughs> Again? Well, like, make, uh, Resident Evil 9? Cause they have, you know, 7 and 8, so nine's yeah, up next, right? Well, unless you go and remake five, which I hope they don't, because five wasn't great, is and that where six they keep... was horrible too. Which which one's the volcano one? Is that that's five? five. That's oh. the end of five, where you push uh, Wesker into a volcano and you punch a boulder onto him. Jesus Christ! <clears throat> yeah, it's really stupid. Um, four was like the last, like oh wow, this was like a was four was what seven was was mm. where it was like this is a completely new perspective, a new way of gameplay. Because you're fighting in, a, in third person with the camera over Leon's shoulder the whole time, rather yeah. than a fixed camera in two and three. Um, as far as I can tell, I don't believe there's any type of stalker in four. I don't remember there being a stalker at all in the GameCube version, at least. I don't know if they've added one. They could have. Um, but, like, because three, obviously, you have Nemesis uh, chasing you the whole time. Yeah. You have Mr. X in two, but Mr. X originally didn't show up until you beat the game. Uh, with at least one character first, and he'd show up on the second character's game. I don't remember that at all happening on the GameCube, ver- or not GameCube, but the Super... N- Super Nintendo? No, it was the Nintendo 64 version. Okay. Nintendo 64 version, I beat Claire and Leon's game, and I never saw Mr. X. So maybe that's an, a New Game Plus thing for there, or maybe it was the difficulty that I was on that he didn't appear. But I never ran into Mr. X when I played when I beat uh, Resident Evil 2. Okay. Um, and then they brought the soccer thing with Resident Evil 7 with the uh, dads talking about first until you take him out completely. But, like, it feels different because those things are very scripted, so you know where he shows up at yeah. or where he can show or up. Or his areas are. Yeah, and the same thing with 8 with Dom- with Lady Domitrusque. 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 Lady Domitrusque is only in one specific area stalking you. She doesn't stalk you over all over the map where... Mr. X stalks you constantly throughout the entire map. Yep. So you never know when he's going to fucking show up until you hear the footsteps or unless you're playing on PC and you have the X going to get you mod, you start hearing DMX <laughs> playing in the background. It's great. I love it. It <clears throat> makes me giggle every time I I hear it. So like, and the nemesis is always like scripted, but he, the nemesis cheats a little bit because like <laughs> I would run past the nemesis or like stun him, run past him, and then he would like super jump into a scripted spot in front of me. And then I have to dodge around him to get to another spot to get away from him. Um, so it seems like the Nemesis cheats a little bit. The other w- later games, like the Stalkers are stuck in one area 
or a specific area where they're going to stock you at. And then for there, I don't believe there is a stalker at all because I think the challenge is once you get Ashley with you, you now have a companion that you constantly have to protect. Just throw her in a dumpster. Throw her in a dumpster, throw her up into a win, uh, second floor of a building that nobody can get into or something like that. Or put her in the armor because the people can't carry her when she's wearing full night armor. They just fucking <laughs> drop her. At least that's what happened in the game in the GameCube version, as I remember. If you put her in armor, they would try to pick her up and walk away with her, and then she'd be too heavy, and they'd just drop her. <laughs> <clears throat> that way you would never have to worry about her at all because nobody could ever kidnap her. I love it. Um, but gameplay's done really well. They mm-hmm. left some of the cheese in there, like the classic line that everybody's been talking about in the beginning where... You're fighting off the horde of this village, and then they all stop when the bell rings and leaves and goes to the church. And Leon's like, where'd everybody go? Bingo? That's wow. that's the cheesy line. He had some cheese, cheesy lines in there. I've wow. yet to hear the, the uh, mercenary merchant say, what are you buying, though? Way back. He hasn't what? said that yet. Why hasn't he said that? That's just, Yeah, that's I was expecting line. him, too. Lame. We're sure he'll say it later in the end, because, again, I'm still in the very beginning. I haven't even got to the castle yet. Maybe he'll stay at the castle for you. I think at the, I think the midpoint or the point, not really the midpoint, but the end of like the first act. I feel like of this game, is when you fight the tall preacher dude, uh, in I think a, a church or a barn house where like, his tentacles come out all over the place. I remember mm-hmm. fighting him. He's not the main villain of this game by any means, but he's memorable. He's memorable. I guess they try to make him look like he's a stalker character, but he's not because he doesn't stalk you at all. Um. <laughs> Maybe they were going to make him a stalker character and then decided, no, he's just going to be a boss right here. No, it's weird because, like, he shows up and he throws Leon around. And then, like, the second time he shows up, he injects Leon with the parasite and then says, okay, uh, it's taken to your, it's to your blood. And then he le- walks away and leaves you alone. Huh. And then I don't think I ever see him again until I fight him as a boss. Oh, right. Well. Um. Again, I don't remember the whole storyline of four. It's been a while, but if you like Resident Evil games and you like, and if you really liked four, how it changed up the action to be a third-person uh, shooting game and gave Leon like the most powerful roundhouse kick in the world because <laughs> his melee is he runs up and kicks people and that will literally break their necks. Apparently, um, <laughs> super fun. Uh, it is definitely challenging uh, playing it on normal. Like I feel like there's more enemies coming at you. Uh, just because they can do more with the newer consoles and new, with this new engine than they did on the GameCube. Um, but it's definitely a fun game. Um, I would definitely check it out, especially if you're a Resident Evil fan. I would just want them to make more new Resident Evil games. Not necessarily the story with, um, with was her name, Rose? Yes. Yeah, with, like, they, have, they continued Rose's story with the DLC on 8, and all that was fine. But, I mean, the first-person stuff was cool, but I wanted them to remake, like, or make a new game that's in the style of Resident Evil 2 or 3 where it's the fixed camera and they have a new adventure for you to run mm-hmm. around through. Or even for the third-person camera. Um, yeah. Having We have two first-person games. Let's get some more... Third-person. Uh, Third-person and some more static camera. Because the static camera stuff is what really builds the tension because you, you have to walk off camera to get to the next scene and you don't know what's around the corner. Yeah. So it's, that works very well with jump scares where... First person, yeah, you can still do jump scare stuff, but it's... After a while, you're like, uh-huh, I get... I see your ruse. Yeah, you see where they're going to do it at, where you never know what's going to happen around any corner in this second. That's what made yeah. Resident Evil so creepy. I really don't want to see Code Veronica remake. I don't want to see Revelation remakes. 
I don't want to see five or six remade because those games were kind of meh. <clears throat> I would love to just see like a brand new uh, Resident Evil story, maybe with other side characters if you want to do that or something else. That'd be interesting. The first person stuff is cool, um, and they brought that into third person with the DLC uh, for eight, but. Let's do something new and also get like a decent multiplayer game off the ground because like the yeah. reverse stuff was looking good and then they I feel like they benched it like it's I, it's then like, it hasn't come out <laughs> like they came out with a, a beta of it people didn't like it and then they were gonna work on it and then like they still haven't re-released it yet it's probably benched <laughs> but the thing is like I thought it was a cool concept where you could get you collect different items and then. Depending on what you collect and what you had on you, when you die, you come back as a different type of creature. Yeah. Whether it be a zombie, a mold man, or, like, one of the boss cre- boss characters, like Nemesis, uh, I think Bill's the name of the dad that you can be, or Wesker, or, or some of the bigger villains. That'd be cool to have that in a multiplayer game and just have it balanced a little bit better. Mm-hmm. But who knows what they're doing with that. We'll have to see. Otherwise, um, that's our show this week. So check out uh, John Wick 4. Keep watching Mandalorian. It's still a good show. Resident Evil 4 is great. Diablo 4 is awesome. So we'll definitely pick that up when it comes out in June. Uh, Next week, we'll probably be talking a little bit about Sifu since it's coming out to Xbox. That's the next big game that I'm excited to play. Um, Maybe a little bit more Resident Evil 4. um, And we'll see if... (laughs) We end up going to see a new movie or whatnot. We don't know. Is there any movies coming out? I don't know. Well, there's still Creed, Creed 3. So we haven't seen that yet. But I don't know if I just want to wait wait for that to come to home video or not. Um, it's fair. It's good. It's here. It's good. It's a good movie. It's just going to the movies is expensive nowadays. So I kind of pick and choose which ones I want to go see. Mm-hmm. Uh, not don't really care about the Shazam movie that came out la- uh, last week. That one's apparently been bombing anyway. Yeah. Uh, it'll be nice to watch when it comes out on home video, but we'll just have to see. But next week, we'll have at least a game to talk about and another episode of Mando. So. It's always we'll, Mando. We'll catch you then. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you next time. Bye. Bye.